Welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where every JoJo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 29, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Stone Free. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime, so you've been warned. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Netflix said the episode title was Prisoner FE40536 Jolene Cujo. Well, Netflix <laughs> is using that localized shit. Mm. <laughs> and over here at Strictly JoJo, we don't use localized names or titles for the most part. We use the OG titles and names for names and titles for episodes. So yes, the official title, the correct title is Stone Free, but due to that fun thing called copyright in the United States and probably in other countries, it's localized as Prisoner FE40536 Jolene Cujo. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the episode list on Wikipedia and it has the transcription of like the Japanese title and some of these are like the, I guess the Romaji version of the episode titles. Um, and for episode two, it, all it says is Suton Furi. So <laughs> yeah, and like as we see in the show itself, um, across the JoJo anime, the localized titles are hit or miss. I mean, to be fair, I get it. Like we we all kind of bash on the localized titles, we cringe at them. But yeah, there's copyright involved, and no one wants to get sued. No one wants to lose a lot of money. We don't want to do anything that's going to risk the future of JoJo. So. I, I do sometimes give credit to whoever it is that's localizing the title. Sometimes they're fucking horrible. Like, I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm sorry, Mary Lynn Manson. Like, that's that's pretty fucking cringe. That's, <laughs> I, I, I think that's pretty funny. Though. <laughs> it's, I mean, I can see what they're going for, but it just, it's so, I don't know. I don't like that one. And then there's, um, there's uh, Zipper Man. A classic. I think that's the epitome of just like a really cringe localized title. There's, uh, spicy girl. Spicy girl. <laughs> yes. And then most recently, and I don't know if this was just a fuck up on Netflix part, but when they acquired Rights to Part Five, whoever did their um their subs put uh, Chariot Requiem instead of Gold Experience Requiem. Well, usually, and I'm like what? <laughs> like in at least in the I think we watched the Crunchyroll version of Part Five. They always say golden wind instead of gold experience for journal's stand so i'm wondering why they didn't just say golden wind requiem or if that was just a mistake on the the subtitle writer's part that's what i'm wondering too but as we've mentioned on i believe this podcast and strictly anime netflix is known to have pretty sus subtitles whether it's just flat out mistakes or trying to change the subtitles to change the meaning of what's happening on screen uh, I think I mentioned before, maybe on Strictly Anime, I can't remember, but there's when they acquired the rights to Evangelion, there's a key part of that show. Um, I won't spoil it or anything, but there's a key part of that show where they changed one word and completely changed the meaning between two characters, like the the relationship between two characters. Um, and yeah, we don't like that here, okay? Like anime sub fans, we just, we want to be as close to the original as possible. Again, I understand copy, copyright kind of handcuffs them from doing that but um you know here i they named stone free stone ocean and like okay fine i guess i can i can deal with that one because you know at least it's it's on theme it's on brand it's kind of like how in the og version in the japanese version weather report is the name of both the guy and his stand or even again in part five they had to use golden wind 
as Jorno Stan instead of Gold Experience. Oh, that one is funny because Gold Experience has many more syllables than Golden Wind. Yeah. <laughs> so Jorno would be shouting Gold <laughs> Experience, but it would just be Golden Wind, like much shorter than what he was actually saying. But yeah, there there's some things here you'll notice between the the original titles and the localized titles that are pretty close. Like Foo Fighters is a title, um, a name of one of the episodes, and they just change it to FF, which is fine because they call her FF in the um, the manga, just as like a shortened way of saying it. So it aligns, right? Like it's it's on it's on point there. But yeah, Mary Lynn Manson just like does not sit well with me. And uh, yeah, there's others out there. I think the latter episodes in this 12 episode dump have Savage Garden. And they went with Savage Guardian. I'm like, okay, like, you know, it's <laughs> play on words. Yeah, like it's it sucks, but it's they're trying their best. But sometimes, man, like Zipperman just still gets me. I can't, I can't. It hurts every time I hear Zipperman. Yeah, they could have come up with something like wacky fingers. I don't know. With yeah. Zipperman, it's it's too normal. I think Gwess in this episode is one that's kind of cringe for me. I mean, I don't know, like. I don't know what other word you could use, and I guess they technically <laughs> they technically pronounce it. The Japanese voice actors pronounce it as Gwes because that's the closest they the closest pronunciation they can come up with um, in Japanese katakana. But uh, I don't know. I just like I just use the word guess. Can you just argue that it's a it's part of the common English language? Yeah, and even along the lines of the character um, Loco Baroco, who like the prison warden, his. He's based off of the. I'll mention this in our in my segment later. Um, the fashion designer Roko Baroko. I don't think that guy's name is copyrighted. Am I right? Um, probably not. But they use other names where like actual people, like Marilyn Manson. Is is that copyright? Copywritten? Uh, yeah, I guess not. Oh, but maybe it's just, if it's like a stage name, it's different. Kind of like a maybe. band name. I can understand stuff like Gucci or Versace, but this this is just a, a guy's plain plain name. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe they just don't want to even go there. Yeah. Which again, like I, as much as we hate on it, as cringe as it is, I if it's if it secures the safety of JoJo's bizarre adventure for us for the foreseeable future, then fine. Just as long as I can still pick at it, just to get it off my chest, then I'll I'll accept it at the end of the day. But yes, this is episode stone free. We are in episode two of the twelve episode dump, and we got a couple of things. A couple of firsts in this episode. Um, the OP and ED. We got mm-hmm. our first yada yada dawa. We got our first ora ora. So there's a lot to talk about with this episode. But before we do, I think you had something that you wanted to mention. Yeah. So in our previous episode, uh, in our discussion of episode one, Stone Ocean, um, I wanted to briefly correct a goof that I had made. I think I had mentioned that the narrator for all parts of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure at some point had been replaced because they had passed away. That was not true. The narrator for Jojo has been the same person since part one. Um, It's the voice actor Toru Okawa, and he did not pass away, nor was he replaced. So that was my fault. I think I was thinking of someone else. I don't know where I read it. I thought it was associated with Jojo, but I think I might have been thinking of another anime. Yeah, um... Didn't the Pokemon narrator for the U.S. dub, like, was there something with that? See, now am I making up something? I don't know. I feel like... I feel it was like some, some narrator. Some narrator yeah. from some anime 
passed away. I know I know what you're talking about because as you're saying that, I'm like, yes, I recall hearing that news. I just don't know what it was. Maybe we can follow up in our next episode. <laughs> yeah, if anybody knows, if anyone listening um, knows, you know, kind of what we're talking about, please reach out to us because it's going to be one of those things that bugs me until I figure out who it is that passed away. I mean, we certainly have had Seiyu deaths in the JoJo anime. Um, Joseph, older Joseph Josar's voice mm-hmm. actor has passed away. Um, the voice actor for ACDC has passed away. I think those are the only ones that immediately come to mind. For the longest time, I was, okay, because there was such a long wait until part six, I had the biggest fear that Daisuke Ono, who voices Jotaro, was going to pass away. I don't know why. I think it just, as time went on, where we got literally no information about whether even part six was going to happen in the near future, I was like, if they don't hurry, what if something happens to Daisuke Ono and then we can't have his last performance as Jotaro in part six? Like, I, I don't know why I had that fear, but I, I think it's because he is such a perfect voice actor for that character. And to not be able to finish out a role would just be so heartbreaking. And I was wrong. I'm glad that it didn't happen. He's yeah. here. He's doing well, <laughs> I'm sure. He did a great job as Jotaro. He sounded phenomenal in these first 12 episodes whenever he popped in. But the interesting thing is... Um, I played the, I don't know, was it the PS3, PS4 game, um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Eyes of Heaven, which was a very interesting um, but really fun video game. And in that, there's moments where where Jotaro says lines from part six. So I was like, if worse comes to worse, they can just pull those lines from Eyes of Heaven and just, you know, kind of puzzle them into part six anime. But again, we didn't have to worry about that because all's good. Yeah. And I know like there's there's kind of like deep fake technology now for voices. Um, I was watching, I think it was like a Disney gallery special on Disney Plus talking about like the Mandalorian and a key character that shows up in season two's finale and kind of explaining the technology behind that. So thankfully that it never came to that with Daisuke Ono because again he's I think he's 43 years young he's alive and well but yeah I guess there are a lot of contingencies now for things like this but would a deep fake sound genuine would you be able to pick up on that if no one told you it was a deep fake voice actor or voice performance maybe if you had a very keen ear you could tell the difference and like it's, it's like um like even deep fakes i think people have a well-trained eye enough to know when it doesn't look human basically right so i think the same principle would apply to like deep faked audio i feel like I, I i don't generally have great hearing but i feel like i can pick up on male voice male japanese voice actors in a snap like you and I will be sitting there watching, I don't know, some new anime, and the second a certain character, usually it, usually it's male characters. As soon as a male character starts speaking, I'm like, oh my god, that's so and so's voice. Like, um, when did that happen recently? Oh, when I was watching Gambare Doki Chan, uh, I believe the the male character in that show, the the love interest, is voiced by the same voice actor for Itadori from uh, Jujutsu Kaisa. And the second he opened his mouth, I'm like, that's him. That's Jun- Junya, fuck, what's his name? Junya Inoki. Yeah. I was like, that's him. I can tell. And I've done that a couple times here with um, with some JoJo characters. So I feel like I may be the type of person just because for some reason I pick up on the male voice actors pretty quick. I-, I feel like I would know if something was off because Daisuke Ono obviously voiced Jotaro in part five. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like something sounds different about his performance. Remember I mentioned this to you before where I felt like in in the scene where he's making a phone call to Koichi, I think in like the first or second episode of part five, I'm like, his voice sounds higher pitched than normal. Like He doesn't sound exactly like the Jotaro that we've heard over parts three and four. But then you told me that you thought it sounded the same. I mean, I'd have to rewatch that that part in part five um, to specifically hear how his voice sounds. But you know, I think it also could just be he is getting older, so he's not gonna always have like that fresh voice that he did in part three. It could be that the the day he was recording that he might have not been feeling well, so they That's tried to thinking. like do some stuff with his voice. Um, I came across the same thing playing um, Spider-Man Miles Morales. The original voice for the Spider-Man in the first game, Yuri Lowenthal, he had a very raspy voice in, in Spider-Man Miles Morales when he cameos. Yeah, I remember you calling that out. And I could ha- I could kind of hear it too when you mentioned it to me when I was watching you play a few times. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it does sound different. Like maybe he had a cold or something. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could have been an off day for him. But again, like there's also the factor of time. So that could have been the case with Daisuke Ono. Um but thankfully, in part six, he he sounds just as he did in part three. Yeah, he sounds great. Sounds exactly like the same Jotaro we know and love. Um, even with his Oro Oras, he does a, a really, really good job. And interestingly, I feel like Jolene's Oro Oras are really good, but she like can't do it as fast as as uh, Daisuke Ono can as Jotaro. He does it so fast. Can we acknowledge how fast mm-hmm. he says Oro Ora? It competes with the Muda Muda, in my opinion. Yeah, especially because Ora is harder to enunciate than Muda. Yeah. Because you're, you're you're going from a consonant to a consonant. Or not consonant. You're going from a vowel, the vowel ending to a vowel beginning, right? Because there's an A and an O. With Muda, you have a vowel ending going to a consonant beginning. So I feel like it, it's easier to flow that way. But since you're changing the the shape of your mouth, that's what makes it difficult. When you're yeah, doing the oda, I can oda, see oda, that. Instead of like the muda, muda, muda. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she she does a pretty good job of it. And yeah. I, I'm sure she's rehearsed that moment thousands of times with uh, Fire's Eye being like a huge JoJo fan. Yeah, it's probably like a dream come true for her to be able to do this. And again, she does a phenomenal job. She she has a lot of like ferocity behind her oda, oda. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, so yeah, that was <laughs> that was the first goof I wanted Our to bring. Our from the previous yeah. episode. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of mudas, uh, the second thing I wanted to clarify from our previous episode is related to Giorno. I think we had a discussion about when Giorno was born and, like, where he was around the time of Stardust Crusaders. So I think I looked up on the JoJo wiki that Giorno was born in 1985 which would have put him at age 15 in 2001 when part 5 golden wind takes place so i believe stardust crusaders part 3 takes place in 1988 or 89 so he would have been alive at the time and would have probably suffered the same fever symptoms as holly and josuke did before acquiring a stand i feel like that was addressed in part 5 as well in his backstory I think we were discussing this because we were talking about why Jolene didn't already have her stand manifested since she was part of the Joestar bloodline. And there are other characters that have stands who were just born with them, Emporio being one of them, Abdul mm-hmm. being another. 
So I, my guess is that the stand arrow that pierced her in episode one was just meant to kind of awaken the stand ability in her, like awaken the force, the force awakens. <laughs> True, because she wasn't shot with the arrow um, because it took to, for a new stand user who has no bloodline of it, you need to be shot with the arrow and then you're either going to die um, or less likely you'll survive, but then you'll develop a stand. All she needed was just a prick on the finger to get that shit going. Yeah. So those are the uh, two things I wanted to clarify. If there were any other goofs that we made, please let us know. Call our asses out. We got to be accurate as fuck about JoJo, but sometimes it's a lot of lore to remember and we get a little confused. And, you know, Araki also just contradicts himself every time. If Araki can forget, it's okay if we forget sometimes, but we do want to make sure that we correct ourselves whenever possible. So episode two of Stone Ocean. How did you feel about this episode as a whole? I thought it was it was just pretty straightforward. Again, there's no huge reveal of the overarching plot of Stone Ocean yet. Um, this was just more of a proper introduction to Jolene's stand ability, which we know that she names Stone Free. But it also just introduces one of the weirdest characters right out of the gate. Um, and I was just you know reading this in the manga. And watching this unfold on screen, I was just so eager for Jolene to get rid of this bitch. This bitch <laughs> being Guess. What did you think? I um, So in the previous episode, our, our first um, review episode of Stone Ocean, I said that I felt like episodes one and two were oddly paced because they were cramming a lot in um, in order to get the ball rolling for the main plot of Stone Ocean, which is when they introduce Jotaro in the next episode. But rewatching the second episode again, I actually don't feel like it's oddly paced because it's it's a contained episode that focuses solely on guests from basically start to finish. Like they start the episode off with Jolene get, getting like the, I don't know, the orientation for the prison with the ground rules. And then they immediately have her meet guests. And then we go through the whole Goo Goo Dolls arc and then things get closed out with her um, at the very end of the episode and then it ends like it's, it is literally a very contained arc mini arc for um, Jolene and guests so I I want to revoke what I said in the last Strictly Jojo episode that I still feel like episode one is somewhat oddly paced because they're setting up the story and there's a lot of shit going on but episode two I felt was a, a nicely paced episode overall though even though it doesn't get the main story going. And it kind of almost feels like episode one introduces us to the main story. Episode two takes us one step back because we're not really focusing on the main story anymore. And then episode three brings us back to the main story. I still feel like episode two is important because Jolene is getting a feel for what the fuck she has to deal with at Green Dolphin Street. Not only with just the the politics of the jail, but the the people who are there and the new stand users that she's going to encounter because the piece of the stand arrow is floating around. Yeah, I think they needed these two episodes first before we could get into the meat of Stone Ocean because these two episodes, they just set important things in stone, no pun intended. <laughs> Episode one obviously introduces Jolene and the reasons that she's in prison. Episode two, I feel like it, it focuses more on her cementing her stand ability because we obviously see it by the end of the episode. And so it's just important to get those two things out of the way before episodes three and 12, as you've mentioned previously, they kind of just like they just set off from there with or in terms of 
the real story of Stone Ocean. Yeah, like episode one introduces us to what Jolene thinks is her ultimate goal, which is proving her innocence. And then episode three is like, no, actually, this is your real goal, which is basically helping Jotaro out, as we learn very, very quickly. They don't waste any time with saying like, here's what's going on in Stone Ocean. Yeah, a quick side note, I didn't realize how rapidly these episodes would have covered certain chapters in the manga because I think this episode covers about 80% of what I read in Stone Ocean or in the manga. Yeah, so you didn't get very far at all, right? No, I think I got through where episode three, I think to the middle of episode three or the end of it, um, that's where I had I had stopped in the manga. So. Yeah, I recall now that you're saying that. I recall you telling me because I'd asked you, "Oh, are you still reading part six? And you said, "You you told me no." I got to the part where Jotaro is introduced, and then I stopped, which I found mm-hmm. interesting because you love Jotaro, and I I the whole reason for me what a reading part six manga was because I had to know what happened to Jotaro and Jolene, knowing that she's his daughter, and I'm surprised that you you stopped there of all parts because you love Jotaro he's your favorite yeah but you know life gets in the way so I just <laughs> I always told myself okay I'll, I'll pick pick this manga back up but by by the time like a couple months passed I was like you know what I'll just wait until the anime comes out yeah it was probably <laughs> your subconscious saying nah you got to experience this in the anime adaptation yeah so I, I didn't have to wait long well speaking of that let's jump into it let's talk about episode two of this anime um yeah kick us off thanks (laughs) that was a weird transition (laughs) kick us off and so we begin with the summary for part six episode two stone free or for the localized fucks out there the localized (laughs) prisoner fe40536 jolene cujo after prison warden loco baroco explains the prison's ten commandments with the help of his gator muppet charlotte Jolene checks up in a cell with Guess, a prisoner whose mood swings faster than Jada Pinkett Smith. The juvenile Jojo discovers that Guess is in possession of Daddy Jotaro's pendant and a creepy pet bird, later revealed to contain the shrunken body of an unlucky prison guard. Jolene deduces that Guess has also gained some voodoo powers from the pendant, and her guess, but is proven right when her cellmate shrinks Jolene into a mouse carcass to do her dirty bidding. Guess orders Jolene to use her mouse DLC skin to unlock the prison block exit from the control room and facilitate their escape. Jolene learns the hard way that Guess's voodoo power is dependent on distance and begins growing back to her normal size in an attempt to abort the mission. Guess's special power... Okay, we know it's a stand at this point, right? No spoilers there? Good. Guess's stand manifests with the name Goo Goo Dolls to slap some obedient sense into Jolene, but our juvenile Jojo responds by manifesting her own stand to defend herself. Jolene coerces Guess into revealing that Hermes had sold her Daddy Jotaro's pendant, and after Smackledorfing Guess's plan to trap her in a restricted hallway, thanks her with a demonstration of how a punching bag feels with the help of her newly named stand, Stone Free, as free as the wind blows. Wow, okay. <laughs> that was not the Stone Free song. I thought, I thought you were going to sing something, Jojo. <laughs> no. <laughs> And on to our next segment of the show is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. As I mentioned previously, the prison warden 
Loco Barocco is a reference to Rocco Barocco, who is an Italian fashion designer. His real name is actually Antonio Muscariello, which does not sound as fun. As Rocco Barocco. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that the his gator puppet is named Charlotte. I don't think I saw any reference there. I uh, surmised it to be like a reference to Charlotte Roos. That Amer- the American uh, retail clothing chain store. Does that have any? Th- Wait, okay. Does that have any connection to to this guy, Rocco Barocco? I uh, know. I don't think so because oh, he's an Italian designer. Charlotte Russe is a is an American brand. It's some like fast fashion store here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe, but that seems okay to me. I mean, or they're... Good Charlotte the band. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to me, they're all like very high end designers, and this is a Rocky we're talking about. Yeah, I don't even know if he knows what Charlotte Ruse is. I don't know. Maybe there's some connection. Who knows? But that that would be that would be one of the biggest surprises to me if a Rocky wanted to name a character after Charlotte Ruse. Well, Charlotte Ruse apparently has been around since 1975. Mm, so. Okay. So I could stand corrected. I don't know. Moving on, the next reference is a music reference uh, with the character Guess, or as she, as the localized name goes, Guess. Um, this is in reference to Guess, an American clothing brand and retailer. And Guess makes a music reference herself when she sings Jolene's name before launching her into the prison cell, and it is to the tune and rhythm of Jolene by Dolly Parton. Although there's a slight difference in the tune, I'm sure, because of musical copyright reasons. They're like, make sure you change that pitch just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, but you can tell by the rhythm that that's what they were aiming for. Uh, the third reference, another musical reference, is with the stand Goo Goo Dolls, which is an American rock band probably best known for their hit single, Iris. And you probably know this song as well as I do, because if you remember that gag in family guy where peter's crying inside his car in the garage oh yeah (laughs) he's listening to iris as he's crying and then the music changes to happy by pharrell (laughs) (laughs) i love that scene i have no idea why it just makes me laugh every time (laughs) but yeah that that's the best example i've seen of iris being used outside of jojo in pop culture um and then the last reference um, which is a music reference, is, of course, the stand Stone Free, which is the title of a 1966 song released by American music artist and guitarist Jimi Hendrix as part of the band The Jimi Hendrix Experience, which is considered a counterculture anthem reflective of Hendrix's restless lifestyle. And this song is it, it's a banger. I could also picture this as a great ED for part six if they so choose to use it. You know what? I wonder, and I think I may have seen something a long time ago, but I wonder if there are any Spotify playlists that are just comprised of songs that are referenced in JoJo. Like, you know, would Stone Free be on there or whatever other fucking titles there are? I'm sure there's a JoJo fan who's compiled that list and just put it on Spotify. You and your friends one time made a Spotify playlist of any and all songs that came up in The Office because there's not that many that pop up in The Office. There are a lot, actually. I think there was like, we had like 200 (laughs) songs on this list. Oh, really? I'm surprised. I mean, I guess maybe I feel like there's not a lot because it's a show that doesn't have any background music for the most part. But yeah, maybe there are more than I realized. Now I kind of want to find that. Oh, 
So <laughs> the playlist was called Here Comes Trouble, Class of 92, Cornell. <laughs> um, okay, no, there were 73 songs that are on this list. I, I was confusing it with the, the anime playlist. So there, there's still a decent amount from that show. But I, yeah, I'm sure there are tens of hundreds of playlists made by fans on Spotify that include JoJo references. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. As I mentioned in our previous review episode, this is going to be very difficult for me because we're we're in the throes of part six and memes happen as we go through the airing of a show. So some of them have existed because of stuff in the manga um, and some of them are going to be birthed from the premiere of the anime. So I actually only have found one meme. It's pretty new because we didn't realize that David Production was going to bring back CGI openings. And the meme is, you know, one of those comparison memes like anime fans when they see CG and JoJo and they're all excited, happy, and cheering versus anime fans when they see CG in any other anime and they're all like making disgusted faces, <laughs> which is basically us mm-hmm. to a T. I mean, that that is us. Whenever we see CG in any anime, including Stone Ocean, there's there's some pretty gnarly CG in the later episodes yeah, of this first boy. twelve dump. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot his name. The monkey. Yeah, that uh, there's some there's some jolting, very jarring moments of CG. However, the CGI opening is phenomenal, as are all of the JoJo CGI openings. Probably the only time in anime so far that I have ever welcomed CGI. But that's it. That's all I had. And it wasn't even really part of the the core episode. But I'm sure I missed some because I only remember fractions of parts of the part six manga. So as always, if we missed any memes or if any come up, you know, kind of down the road as we continue watching Stone Ocean, please reach out and let us know. Before we start our discussion, can I just preface it by saying how much I hate that each episode begins with the Netflix logo and a Netflix anime series. I hate that too with any of the anime that they, they do that with. But especially with JoJo because this is, I feel like this is implying like Netflix created JoJo's Bizarre Adventures. Like, no, fuck you. You did not. I know, <laughs> dude. It's Netflix does, I just, I have so many gripes with Netflix and the way that they, they handle anime. And yeah, this is definitely one of them. I'm glad you said that because I'm like, am I the only one that gets bugged by this? Although doesn't Funimation do the same thing? Like, it doesn't say like, this is a Funimation series. True, yeah. So, like, the Netflix logo, fine, because that's who has the license. But, yes, it, claiming it's a Netflix anime series, that's that's pretty fucking bold. Like, mm. legally, they're not saying anything wrong. But morally, I'm kind of like, no, that's really misleading. It's, it's not. So, yeah, I, I get bugged by that, too. But I already have a lot of gripes with Netflix and the way that they, they do their anime game. Yeah, I feel like... This is probably like a first world problem, but I, you know, I just had to get it off my chest. <laughs> oh, Netflix. Well, this episode is a pretty wild ride in and of itself. I do first and foremost want to call out the music, which is just great in this episode. We get introduced to, I think, I mean, the, the soundtrack in general for Sonotion is its own soundtrack, but it does borrow some songs from previous JoJo parts. But here, the music in this episode was just phenomenal, especially when Guess is introduced. And then when um, Jolene steals the bird from her, those two moments in particular really kind of gave me like an eerie feeling because the music is very intense. I can't even describe it. But if you go back and listen, it's a very intense song that plays as Jolene is like pulling the bird towards her. And then she like takes the head off and the limbs come spilling out. The song was just like, 
getting my heart racing. Okay, it's funny because the note I wrote during that part is that it's very whimsical music that plays when she finds the body inside the bird. Really? Because it it has like these sort of like almost like xylophone or chimes. Yeah, it doesn't sound like normal anime music or normal. It feels like um like you're watching something out of like a movie about witches. Uh, I didn't get that (laughs) far. Like a spooky movie. Yeah, like a sp- yeah, like a horror film. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of like intense, and it did not sound like a normal kind of song that you would hear in anime. But it it got those emotions out of me. You know, the it had me on the edge of my seat. You know, waiting for whatever the fuck was inside that bird to come out. See, I wrote that. Is this because the setting of Stone Ocean is in Florida, and this music sounds Disney esque? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But yeah, at the same time, while it 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 does sound whimsical, it is a very tense song i enjoy it though because there are other songs like part three has an iconic mood song i don't know what you call them like the background music that plays in certain types of scenes um it's like the slow piano version of jotaro's theme but it's like really eerie yeah and it plays at very eerie moments and just amplifies what we're watching on screen like that that pairs super well together and yeah i don't know what the fuck was playing during the bird reveal scene but i thought it was i thought it was great i thought it was a great match well, funny that you mentioned the piano riff of Jotaro's theme because that also appears in this episode at the very end. Um, it's a very distorted version of the dun, 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 um, that plays while Jolene's looking at the pendant with her parents' photo in it. Yeah, and it was so hype hearing his theme because I think that's mm-hmm. the first time. No, no, mm-hmm. they played it once before when the lawyer gave Jolene the pendant the first time, right? She opens it and she sees yeah. his picture. But here it's like, it's it's almost like foreshadowing. I know we're jumping ahead to the end of the episode, but it's it's like foreshadowing because that's the last thing you hear before the episode cuts. And you know, because of the title of the next episode, Jotaro's ass is showing up. What's the title? Oh, The Visit. The Visitor, the visit. part one. <laughs> yeah, I just love that they're using his theme as like a motif throughout this part. And yeah, this is the second instance of it. And I, I don't know. Like Yugo Kano, who composed um, the series starting with part three, like the stuff he comes up with is amazing. Yeah, totally agree. Um, the the beginning of this episode, we get introduced to local Barocco and Charlotte, and it's Jolene going through again that orientation at Green Dolphin Street Prison. And uh, yeah, I just have questions. I have a lot of questions. First of all, who or what the fuck is Loco Barocco? Because he looks like a teardrop with iguana eyes and then someone like crushed him down to size because he's really <laughs> short. Like, right? Isn't his head like a weird teardrop shape? Yes. I think I mentioned in the last episode that he kind of looks like one of Mista's sex pistols. Yeah, that's right. Because he also has like the really bulging eyes. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. I chalk it up to, again, how Araki looks at florida prison guards (laughs) or floridians in in general (laughs) yeah that that's a lot of you know everyone outside of the u.s looking at the u.s they they probably see us as some wacky characters Mm -hmm. uh but yeah he's fucking weird and i i don't understand charlotte and having read the part six manga i don't know or recall if they ever really address why the fuck charlotte is there like what is charlotte's point right the puppet it's kind of like uh, mr garrison's mr hat puppet yeah in South Park, which, <laughs> yeah it, it there really is no point to it i just love how i think jolene talks out a turn and the puppet speaks up and you think it's local baroque's voice but it's something it's a deeper voice 
Like it's not his voice at all. It's just very menacing. I think it's. It sounds like it's Loco Broco yelling at her. Like I think mm, it's all the okay. same voice actor. My this is my assumption, and unfortunately, Mal doesn't have many of the voice actors updated at this point. But my assumption is that it's one voice actor voicing Loco Broco and Charlotte. And yeah, I wrote that down too because in that moment. Charlotte yells, but it's like this really deep voice that sounds like Loco Barocco's voice, but his lips aren't moving at all. So I'm yeah. like, that's some fucking master <laughs> level ventriloquism. So maybe it props to you, the voice actor, for making very distinct voices for each character. <laughs> My other question is that he says, we know it's a maximum security prison, thanks to the narrator from the previous episode. And he says that one of the the general rules is that you can walk around freely. And I'm like, what maximum security prison lets you walk around freely? They have so much freedom at this prison, but it's a maximum security prison. So I feel like that doesn't make sense. I mean, I've never been to prison, so I don't know. But isn't that weird that they can just walk around freely? And really, Mm -hmm. can they? Because there's often times where they can't. Like when Jolene is in the library and she wants to leave, she can't even leave. The door's locked. I was also going to say, like, later on when they are discussing, like, going into the courtyard, there are restrictions in that as well. Yeah, that's so right. So it's like, yeah, you can walk around freely, but not really. You're, you can walk around freely in the rooms that we allow you to be in at a yeah. time. <laughs> Plus, again, in this episode, there's that hallway that's restricted. Obviously, it leads to, like, the guards' um, like the guards' quarters and where they keep their, their weaponry, but... Yeah, that's not free to walk around. <laughs> There's also that quick moment that happens um, where, like, when they leave orientation, I think, those female prisoners notice the crocodile, and they're just like, oh, crocodile. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> just out of nowhere, they're like, oh, crocodile. And then they zoom in on the crocodile on screen, like a big circle zoomed in, like, magnifying glass of the crocodile. Yeah, you... And I do think I remember that from the manga. It just, like, is there for some reason, and then we move on with no, the story. Yeah, you get this very gorgeously drawn expanse of the prison, and it's, like, panning over it. And then the little bubble shows up and says, "Look, oh, look, a crocodile. It, <laughs> it reminds me of the moment in part three where Polnareff offers... It was Joseph that he offers the gum to. Like, was it Joseph or Jotaro? I think it was. I thought it was Joseph. Uh, you might be right. I can't quite remember. Uh, but again, just an inconsequential moment. I mean, yeah, this this establishes that, as we know, like there are crocodiles or alligators in Florida. But it was just very random. That was uh, that was a great part in part three. Like one of the moments that solidified my love for Polnareff because they had just escaped the ship as it was trying to kill them. They get on this little tiny lifeboat with Annie and they're all freaking out like, what the fuck do we do now? And then Polnareff's just like, hey, you want some gum? <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? What the hell's wrong with Polnareff? <laughs> what the hell's wrong with Rocky? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so then we um, we see Jolene get uh, get delivered to her cell, cell 206 or whatever the fuck it was. Transported? Trans- delivered? <laughs> oh, like she's Delivery, an Amazon Prime <laughs> package. We've delivered your roommate to you, Guess. Um, but Guess gets introduced, and I love her character design. I know that you know many of the enemy stand users have very wacky designs, but hers is really cool. And I don't know if it's just because of like her cool headband that has like how do you explain it? It's like a headband that has like interconnecting pieces at the top. So it's almost like mm-hmm. a half hat headband going on. Yeah. Like, th- like 
part of the headband. I think it's almost like a beanie cap, and then parts of it are just it's like not there. Yeah, and her like hair, I guess, pops out of it. I love it. And then her eye, like makeup or tattoos, whatever it is, like the the dots around her eyes, kind of reminds me of um, Aaron Yeager after he turns into a Titan. She's got those Titan lines. And then her lips, I love that she's got just that um, that line down the center of her lip, which reminds me of Queen Amidala from oh, Star Wars. Wow. Here you go, me making my second <laughs> Star Wars reference of recent days. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm catching up to you. <laughs> I feel like it, it reminds me of an outfit that someone would put together for like a rave or um, like a music festival. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> you know what? If we ever go to a music festival, I'm going to dress up as guests. Yeah, you, you could just dress up as stand users or maybe not stands. And people will think you are like... You're part of making the a, music you're, festival <laughs> you're leading a fashion trend when in reality you're <laughs> referencing an anime yeah <laughs> i think she looks great her voice actor does a phenomenal job i wish i could give her credit but mal doesn't have her voice actor up yet her voice sounds extremely familiar to me i still haven't pinpointed it uh, but yeah she does a, a great job showing us the dynamic like emotions that guests go through because she is fucked up in the head she, there's moments where she's creepy Moments she's erratic, moments she's unpredictable, moments she's really sweet and kind, moments where, I don't know, you just, for like a brief moment, feel like she's a normal person, and then she just goes off the wall. By the way, um, her voice actor, it's listed on Wikipedia. It's Momoko Taneichi. Um, Any notable roles? I'm going to look it up here on my, my end, too. Momoko... <laughs> The one I'm looking at, um, it says she was in Jujutsu Kaisen as a customer in episode six. As a customer. Another one is interesting. It says she was in Megalobox as Santa. What the fuck? I don't know if that's like the actual Santa. I haven't watched Megalobox. Yeah, wait. Here on Mal, that is the only character listed. It's just the Santa character from Megalobox. Is so it maybe, actually Santa? Maybe she. Maybe I'm, I'm mixing her up with somebody else because her voice I thought was very familiar. Um, but I mean, with the amount of seiyus that are out there, sometimes some of them sound a little bit similar. Oh wait, so it's it's not actually like Santa, like Santa Claus. It's it's a, it's a character that just just happened to be named Santa. Oh okay. Well, yeah. It looks like she's new to the the voice acting game. Um, well, yeah, she did a fantastic job, and I hope we get more of her. I hope she lands more roles. So there are some immediate red flags with guests as soon as Jolene meets her. Um, I would say an immediate red flag is when she flips her shit as Jolene puts her stuff on the bottom bunk. I'm like, yeah, Jolene, I don't know about this girl. You better be careful. Um, there was also the moment that Jolene notices that her parrot's head pops off and little arms reach out for a piece of the cookie. Like, what in the actual fuck? What in the actual fuck? I don't care if you're a manga reader or an anime-only person. That moment has just got to be the biggest head-scratcher uh, of, of what's happening in that episode. Or really, one of the biggest head-scratchers of probably all of part six. Like, what the fuck am I looking at? Yeah, I remember reading or getting to that part in the manga. And when once you get to the panel where you see the arms like pop out, I was like, what the hell? It's kind of freaky. Um, but, yeah, like obviously we see that Guess has very frequent mood swings and turns out to be like a crazy sadistic bitch. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, I did, so in that same introduction scene, I found it kind of weird that in the previous episode, Jolene threw away the charm from Jotaro, but in this episode is desperate to get it back from Guess. Like she has such a worried look on her face and is almost begging Guess to, to give it back to her. 
Um, I don't have a clear understanding of why that is. My theory is because now that she her stand has manifested, she's realizing it's it's happening because of what happened with the charm, and now mm -hmm. she's desperate to get it back because she's trying to understand how the charm led to her manifesting a stand. But that's the only thing I can think of. Because she, I mean, she does a 180 compared to how she acted when she first got the charm. She threw it away and was like, I don't want that shit from my my absent father. And now she's like, please, give me the charm. It should have a picture of my dad in it. I think, like, her throwing the charm away in the first pla uh, first place was like, probably just a knee-jerk reaction because she had just gotten into prison and she had all of these, like, feelings bubbling up about her her hatred for her father um but i think to your point she probably realizes that her powers were manifested by whatever was in the pendant which we know is the stand arrow and that again she wants to understand it um and that if it was placed in the wrong hands it could become a dangerous tool and what do you know it ends up in guess's hands and just spirals out of control for there i also think it's because like, besides the picture of Jodra, obviously, it has a picture of her mother, which she, at this point, cares about a little bit more. That's true. That's very true. Her blonde mom. I'm not used to that. I'm realizing, like, I, just through this whole experience of having read part six and then watching the anime adaptation, I'm getting these feelings, these reactions that, like, manga-only people have gotten that I never quite understood. Like, when you see a character's color scheme in a manga... And then you see it completely changed for the anime and you're like, man, I have to kind of get used to this all over again. Or when there's not even a color scheme for a character in a manga and then they give them a color scheme in the anime and it's not at all what you expected. Granted, this is just changing her mom's hair from brunette to blonde, but it's just, it's an interesting thing to kind of wrap your head around. Although I, I would say they stayed as faithful to the colors of the manga um, with part six as they they could yeah i thought so yeah i think they did a really good job they it's david production wanting to be as faithful to the original as they always are so in the next couple of scenes with guests um we we find out more about her and what the fuck is up with that parrot after the whole lunchroom part we see guests kind of talking to herself and it's revealed that she's actually talking to the parrot in her pocket and we get a callback. I like I like to think it's a callback anyway to Chocolata from part five when we get the yosh, 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 yosh. Because mm -hmm. not only is she saying yosh, yosh, yosh the same way that Chocolata did um, when he was rubbing, I can't remember the other. Seco. Seco. When he was rubbing Seco's head. Um, the, the image that we get almost looks identical because it's like Guess's face, like Guess is on the right hand side and her face is kind of cocked inward and then she's holding the parrot to her like left side and rubbing it and i think i think chocolata basically has the same visual when he says yoshosh yosh i also wonder if um that same like bell chime plays when he's rubbing seko's um head oh wait i'm looking at it sorry i got it flipped so someone did a comparison shot it's like it's a one for one but flip so like Guess is on the right side, the parrot's on the left. In part five, Chocolata's on the left side, Seko's on the right. But it, they look, in this one-to-one, -one, they look identical. Yeah, so I just briefly watched um, part five where, or the scene in part five where Chocolata um, is rubbing Seko's head. It doesn't play the chime, but yeah, the visual is pretty much the same as what we see with Guess and the pet bird. 
they sound the same too the way they say yosh like it's it's just a one for one it's great and actually because i googled it i i'm looking at at a photoshop of chocolata doing the yosh 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 but instead of holding seko he's holding yoshi and he's saying oh. it's like the subtitle say yoshi 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 i'm like that's that's pretty good. Now I won't be able to unhear Yoshi every time I, I see that scene. Are they implying that Guess and Chocolata are related? Is that what Araki is implying? I'm sure he's not implying anything. <laughs> we just love to dive too deep into what he... He probably just really enjoyed making a character go Yosh, Yosh, Yosh. But I don't know. For us, we'll we'll take that and we'll run with it as we mm-hmm. do with all things in JoJo. It's, it's kind of like that meme where, you know, the fandom takes something, something minuscule about an anime and dissects it and then you've got the actual creator who like in an interview is like i don't know i just liked it so i added it in there yeah (laughs) like no real meaning behind it that's what we talked about in 86 um i think i mentioned with the design of the the juggernauts like the mechas in there Mm -hmm. like the author's only reason for that is she just thought it was cool (laughs) <laughs> people were like what could it mean what do they represent like they don't represent so yeah it, it's probably just Iraqi wanting to use the same humor again well with Gwes oh my god Gwes with Guess, I'm sorry I just used a localized name I kind of feel dirty now <laughs> with Guess, my question is where the fuck did she get a parrot from like a rat I can understand but where did she get a parrot it would be more believe- a parrot though it is because in is? later scene they say Inko and I'm pretty sure okay gshow.org because my vocabulary is shit. I'm pretty sure Inko means parrot. Yeah, Inko's um, parrot. I mean, it looked more like a parakeet to me. Oh, but... okay. Well, a parakeet. <laughs> it's basically not a pigeon, right? Like, I thought it was like a pigeon would be more believable, right? Or like a yeah. crow, like a, a bird that just flies around in general or is native to Florida. What birds are native to Florida? I don't know. But if it were like a pigeon, I, I'd be more convinced. But a parrot? Where the hell did she get that from? I mean, there are exotic animals in Florida, but I don't know if parrots are like are parrots flying wild around. Animals? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got some wild animals and some random. Or parts she just of the, brought in a flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of wild animals, I think I told you this story before. Like here in Chicago, there are squirrels up the asshole. Like we just have so many squirrels, it's obnoxious. And then one time, I went to Japan. And at one of the shrines, I saw a group of Japanese people freaking out and taking pictures of something in a tree. And I'm like, oh, cool. Is it, I don't know, like a monkey or something? Like something totally not native to um, the United States. And I walk over. It's a fucking squirrel. They were Mm -hmm. freaking out over a squirrel. I'm like, this is the most, this is like the craziest bit of culture shock I had experienced, I think. Because to me, a squirrel is like nothing. And then for them, it was mind-blowing you want to see a squirrel come to chicago we have plenty of them yeah but then they have all the deer out there yeah and then i was like holy shit i can pet them they'll come up to me and they probably like we've seen these yeah like whatever (laughs) anyway yeah i don't know where she got a parrot from but she has one um and i didn't realize at first until the second watch through that it's actually a prison guard that was shrunken and put into the parrot i thought it was Mm -hmm. a prisoner but uh, yeah, I was corrected. Well, I think because it's it's a male voice that you hear in the suit when it messes up. But right. there are male prisoners. Yeah, and they do they do sometimes. Co- I mean, obviously they commingle because we see Jolene hang out with them or run into them. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, to me, it makes sense. Like, why would she go after a prisoner? It makes more sense to go after a prison guard because she's you know resentful of being in jail. Um, so that, that makes more sense. I just didn't realize it the first time that we watched it. But my, another question I had about this whole 
parrot scene is why is the prison guard already dismembered when Jolene looks inside of the bird? Yeah, couldn't recall if, like, if it, like, Guess was just flailing the bird around so much that it you know, caused its body parts to. <laughs> That's a good theory. My theory was that when Guess realized that someone took her parrot, she had a banana in her hand, that she may have gone into like some panic and sent Google Dolls out to kill the prison guard so that the prison guard couldn't say anything to Jolene. Because, I mean, it seems mm. like Google Dolls is a pretty, you know, bloodthirsty type of stand. It looks, it looks like it is anyway. My question is how does Guess even activate her stand ability when she uses it against Jolene? Ooh, that's a good question. The only thing I caught was that I think when Jolene tries to grab the bird's carcass before Guess can see it, Guess still glances over at where Jolene's, the corner where she's hiding. So but, is it just like a proximity thing? Like she just needs to be in the proximity of someone that she wants to shrink and then they just shrink? I have no clue. That is a good question because there are other stands that have effects on other people but they need to do something to activate that like the one that comes to mind is from part three i don't remember the stand name or the user but it's the one where they um the stand makes everyone like their bodies physically reverse so when polner f becomes a kid you oh, need to step right, on the yeah. shadow in order to activate that that stand ability mm -hmm. so i don't know maybe it is a proximity thing because on the reverse side when guess walks away from jolene that's when she starts to grow back Unless, get bigger. Unless, I think because of the the little stand that we we later see, it probably guess somehow commanding that thing to walk over to that spot where Jolene's hiding, and then that's how the stand activates. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was inside the bird, and she just never noticed because it was inside the rat with her. I guess. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Very good question. Because yeah, the Joe, Joe Wiki says Google Dolls typically hides near a shrunken victim, somehow being able to even hide in the same animal skins Guess gives to her pets, hmm. and will automatically attack them if they disobey Guess's orders. Ah. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I don't know. The that's a creepy stand all around. The and it's just like the Google. Yeah. Okay. That's another <laughs> thing I wanted to ask. It it says its own name like it's a Pokemon. Mm -hmm. But do other stands do that? Because I was thinking about that after we watched this ep the the episode a second time. I'm trying. I know that there are stands that will that can communicate either you know in a sentient fashion like um, Sex Pistols or communicate as their users. Like I think, obviously White Snake does that. Um, uh, King Crimson. Yeah, King Cr Crimson. It's another good one that communicates on behalf of the like it's it's the stand user communicating through their stand. Mm -hmm. But this one's actually saying Goo Goo Dolls. I feel like there probably is a stand that actually says its own name like a Pokemon does, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. I feel like there's at least one other that we've encountered in a previous part. But... It did catch me off guard, though. I'm like, why is it saying its own name? That's really weird. Because most stands don't say anything. I have no clue. <laughs> or maybe it's because Guess trains all of her shrunken people to like say things like squeak all right. or I love you. So maybe she demands that Goo Goo Dolls says Goo Goo Dolls. Or maybe that's that same desire is manifested in the way that um, Goo Goo Dolls was created. True, yeah, because it is a manifestation of your own spirit. Mm -hmm. hmm, okay, interesting. Well, Guess does something really cool, as you mentioned earlier, and she sings Jolene by Dolly Parton when she whips Jolene onto the table in their prison cell. 
Um, I love that, but it gives me the slight fear that maybe we're not going to get Jolene, the song, as a potential ED in the future. Yeah, I feel like... Well, I, I don't know if this was actually referenced in the manga, too. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Or if they just inserted it here as, you know, like a wink and a nod reference. But... I don't know. I, I'd like to hold out hope because it, like Jolene just seems fitting for the character Jolene. And that's her namesake is, yeah. is that song. Um, I, I Yeah, I hold out hope too. I think that would be an absolute phenomenal ED song, just like how Walk Like an Egyptian is a great ED song for part three because it's about Egypt. And later in the song, even though it's not played in the, the ED, they even reference Japanese people. So it's just a great fit. Yeah, again, it probably boils down to copyright, which I know Warner Brothers um, is the studio that's, I don't know if it, like they're producing this part. Um, I don't know if Warner Brothers music has influence over what songs can be played on the show in that regard. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, <laughs> does Jolene fall under the Warner Brothers music label? Probably doesn't, but. I don't know. Oh, fingers crossed we get Jolene by Dolly Parton and that just makes you realize we did not talk about the OP and the ED in the beginning of you this conversation yeah I realize that too <laughs> but I think that's a good thing to end with so yeah because I think you've prepared quite a number of references that show up in the CGI visuals right hopefully I've prepared a good enough list <laughs> there's a shitload like mm -hmm. a shitload people are still finding references um, that show up in that that OP. So yes, I agree. I think it's a good thing for us to save till the very end. So stick around. We'll chat about that after we finish talking about this episode. But moving on, um, Jolene basically becomes a furry in this episode. Mm. Like an extreme version of a furry where she's wearing an animal carcass. Never, ever, ever would want to do that. Not that she had a choice, but dude, that's fucking nasty. I mean, wearing an animal carcass. Yeah, like guess is already. Well, we wear goose feathers in our winter coats. <laughs> uh, I don't. Wait, do, do I have? Like, aren't like down jackets like they're filled with goose feathers? Oh yeah, that's do why I have a down jacket. I think mine might be. A Sorry, uh, Peta. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a little bit different here, where someone like literally gutted an animal oh, yeah. and stuck Jolene in it. But that just amplified guesses. Like how fucked up she is. Like her sadistic yeah. like tendencies. She already displays an array of crazy emotions throughout this episode. And then we get confirmation here that, yes, these are actual animal carcasses that I have gutted solely for the purpose of, you know, my shrunken friends to to wear and walk around and pretend to be my pets. I'm just like, man, this girl's fucked up and she's Jolene's roommate. Oh, God. Poor Jolene. Which makes me wonder, like, what her, her reason for her imprisonment was. But I'm reading here that it was arson, attempted murder, and parole violation, which aren't related to anything like in the animal world. But I mean, arson—you kind of have to be a, a, a lunatic to to, yeah. to commit that kind of crime. So when it comes to the part where Guess is forcing Jolene to go into the back office or whatever the guard room in order to help them break out of jail. Um, I really don't have any notes about that particular moment, but it's the moment immediately after where she runs away because she's starting to grow back into her normal um, physique that I, I kind of just, I, I don't know, I, I noted that she has a major big brain Joestar moment because throughout the sequence, she's being chased by Goo Goo Dolls and it's her first time 
that I understand ever seeing an actual manifestation of a stand. And she suddenly deduces everything about Goo Goo Dolls and what a stand is in just this brief moment when she's in that gunpoint zone. Like, damn, that's some that's some Jotaro level big brain moment. Because she says something like, uh, like she's staring down at Google Dolls. She said something like he's transparent um, and I'm one of the only people who can see him because I'm a stand user. And I'm like, you've never seen a stand before. This is the first stand you've ever seen. How can you possibly come to that conclusion? Wait, she says she can see it because she's a stand user? Yeah, she's like, I'm one of the only people that, I don't know if she literally says the words because I'm a stand user, but she she implies that she's one of the only people that can see this transparent doll-like creature because she also has a special ability and i'm like how mm. did you come to that conclusion yeah, i don't how understand does, yeah how does she know no one else can see it if no one i'm sure like someone like they would have to have provided context to that if someone happened to be walking past and not see it yeah exactly and to kind of further amplify this big brain moment she then sees stone free manifest for the first time and immediately is immediately is like this is the shape of my energy and i'm like dude not even jotaro figured that out until joseph told him in part three when he right. visited him in the jail he just thought it was a ghost the whole fucking or time or a demon or something yeah like yeah. a demon following him and he's like i don't know why it, and like at least jotaro knew no one else could see it because he kept saying there's a thing here or like you know i'm sure he was interacting with people and no one would acknowledge it except for him um because he was the only one that could see it but the shape of the energy thing like the manifestation of one's inner self jotaro knew none of that until joseph told him when he was trying to get him to leave the jail cell so the fact that jolene not only um figured out without any context that goo dolls was a stand that she could only see it as a fellow stand user and that stands are the shape of one's own energy i was like okay this is a little bit of a stretch for me just just a little bit of a stretch um however i just chalk it up to the fact that she's jotaro's daughter and jotaro is very good at reading situations and reading the enemy and just kind of figuring things out out of thin air so maybe that's what happened here yeah, I was also thinking if Jotaro just happened to mention as she was growing up about this ability to see these kinds of spirits, but I feel like he probably wanted to keep her in the dark in that regard. Yeah, I feel like I feel the same. Like she probably had no idea because when he talks to her in the next episode or the following episode about stands and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, he gives her the official name for what she's seeing. Yeah, and she's like, huh? Wait, what? <laughs> also, <laughs> so, why, why is Stone Free wearing glass, or sunglasses? I don't know, but I love it. It's it, There's a very split reaction to Stone Free's sunglasses. I think they're cool. I actually really like that, that choice for the character design because when else are you going to have a stand that wears fucking sunglasses? Yeah, I mean, you're in the Florida weather and like the sun's beaming down. Why it's kind of like how Crazy Diamond is literally wearing a G-string thong. Like, why? Like, why is his ass out and there's a heart on it? Like, it's just the most, it's the most bizarre thing. Mm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> As mentioned earlier, when at the climax of this episode, when Jolene is kind of understanding Stone Free, she names Stone Free, she beats the shit out of uh, guests, we get the first yada yada dawa and the first ora 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 of part six. And the other stands that JoJo's have in the JoJo universe have different stand cries, but Jolene here inherits the ora ora from Jotaro. I'm sure she never actually saw him or heard him say it, but it's just so perfect and so fitting 
that, you know, as Jolene's theme plays for the first time, as this climax is happening, she's also kind of emulating her father by saying ora, ora, ora as her stand cry. And all of, like you said, yare, yare, dawa, which is synonymous with Jotaro's yare, yare, daze. Although I like to think that that one is an actual, like a direct reference to her father like growing up he probably said yada yada daze <laughs> yeah, and so she's like okay well i'll say the girl version of it yada yada dawa um because you know i'm sure that's just what she had to hear him say all the time <laughs> yeah and since you mentioned it yeah we hear more of the stone ocean theme or i guess jolene's theme which is called at least to my knowledge it's called stone ocean um first episode we only heard i think the guitar riff at the very beginning but now we hear the chorus, and it's very synonymous with um, Giorno's theme in part five, where you hear the choir singing Jojo and then Golden Wind. But now here it's Jojo, Stone Ocean. And it just kicks in so well with the, the seven-page aura <laughs> that seven Stone Free aura. does. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's, it's a great theme. It's so fitting for her. Like It has its feminine qualities, but it's just as powerful um and just as hype as the other jojo themes yeah it's very like espionage sounding yeah jailbreak you know really yeah busting out of this place but not really because she goes back in (laughs) (laughs) um i i kind of had this and this could be me as a jojo fan diving too deep or overanalyzing araki's work here but i like to think that jolene's stand being um string based is maybe somewhat tied to her great-grandfather, Joseph Joestar, who, as we know in part two, um, when fighting ACDC, he uses strings oh, yeah, from his that hat. Up. Yeah, or like even his clacker volley. Like they, I mean, he's got strings on them, and he kind of whips them around. Like the strings aren't the, the key part of the clacker volley. But yeah, he does use threads in some of his fighting techniques. Um, I think with oh no I was gonna say with cars but no that was a rope um, that he was using he was manipulating yeah it was a rope. Um, ACDC right where he yeah did like the, the string from his hat I think yeah and he was tying it up on the spikes um, on the ground below mm-hmm. that they were walking on so yeah I mean that's that's probably again just a JoJo fan over analyzing the situation Iraqi would probably say nah it's just because I like strings <laughs> but well, I like to think it's a callback to her great grandfather you mentioned that her pants um, they. Uh, have similar features to um, jo- Joseph's outfit on like the OST for part two. Yeah, the soundtrack cover art. Um, it's like he's got butterflies that basically mm-hmm. look like Jolene's butterflies, and um, his pants have uh, like the same squares. Like it's got like the the spiderweb pattern. It yeah. has like those. I don't even know what you call them. Like square discs that are on the bottom of her pants. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine wearing that? You would get snagged on everything. You would just well, be we walking. We should ask a Jolene cosplayer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If there's a Jolene cosplayer who's actually worn that outfit with the the square discs on the pant legs, please tell us if this is accurate. But I feel like you'd be walking, and even your two legs would probably get snagged on one another. I can't yeah. imagine how frustrating that would be to wear. But it's a cool outfit. I really, I really like it. And um, yeah, it's cool that, that he he wears that. There's another very, very, very quick minor reference to something that's pretty key to the end of part six that appears in part two. And I've had it written down since we've done our part two mm. review because the reference actually shows up pretty early in part two. So yeah, I've had it written down for months now and I'm I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for the day we reach the end of 
part six stone oceans that I can be like, by the way, let me take you back to part two to this one extremely minor reference, just a quick flash on the screen that just happens to be what I think is a reference to the end of part six. So look forward to that whenever the fuck we get to that point. See, I'm giving Courtney like a, a glaring eye right now. You so. literally could never guess. You, okay. Trust me, unless you've read the manga, you will never guess what I'm referencing right now. So don't worry. This is definitely not a spoiler. For any manga readers out there, um, have fun trying to figure out what I'm what I'm talking about. Okay. But yeah, please, for the love of God, do no, not I won't. Don't worry. This, I, yeah, this is good practice for me to not spoil anything. And again, like I don't remember most of part six manga. So for the most part, you're safe. But speaking of threads, um, I did have another question. This this episode just had me full of questions. So Stonefree uses threads to cover the camera lens when Jolene is in the gunpoint zone so that the guards wouldn't see her on camera later. We get that quick shot at the end after she beats up Guess um, of like the strings unraveling from the camera lens. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, if they aren't stand users that are watching that footage, can't they just see through her her the strings like oh. can't they still technically by the laws of stand users versus non-stand users still see what's going on on those cameras like a stand user could watch that footage and be like i can't see anything there's strings covering the lens but wouldn't the non-stand user technically be able to see straight through that yeah oh i have no explanation for that <laughs> i don't know rocky <laughs> forgot <laughs> he forgot his own rules for that quick moment well, uh, yeah, it's very minor, but I just I thought that was a little bit of a plot hole. My one question, and this is very minor, is whose portrait is hanging in Guess's prison cell? You know what? I was wondering that, too. I kept looking at it. I'm like, is this somebody? Because it's so distinctly drawn. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the manga panel that features the portrait, and I still can't tell. I don't know if it's like supposed to be James Dean. Like, it's just a portrait of James Dean, because he looks like, like James Dean. In the anime, did, did he look like James Dean? I can't remember. That's why I I pulled up the manga panel. I thought that maybe it was like a designer. Yeah, that too, but it it's so Who's the designer for Guess or who started Guess? I wonder if maybe it's that guy. Mm, maybe cuz like this portrait is looks like any plain old guy. But it's so <laughs> it's so detailed and so distinct on the wall. Like it's it's almost popping out at you when you watch Guess's introductory scene. Yeah. I'm like, "Who the fuck is that?" Well, I'm reading the history of Guess. Um, it was founded by George Marciano. I don't know how he looks. George Marciano. Um, this guy looks further from that portrait. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think it was him. Theory debunked. Uh, but maybe one of our listeners out there can clarify for us. In the final scene of this episode, as we mentioned earlier, Jolene looks at the pendant as she's sitting in her cell, and then we get Jotaro's theme playing via piano in the background, which, again, foreshadows what's coming in the next episode, and it's just so hype, so hype. See, this would have been a really cool weekly episode release type of moment because you would have gotten the pendant, you would have gotten Jotaro's theme playing, and then the theorizing would have started because you'd be like, okay, the title of the next episode is The Visitor because we don't get episode previews with netflix Mm -hmm. i think it's the first jojo part where there's no previews or did part five have previews i think part four and five only like they played the themes like the the jojo themes for each respective part but they only showed the title and oh they didn't have like 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 an eye catch too okay 
Yeah, like we... they didn't show any previews of the episode itself. Okay, so I guess then that's not really unique then to to Stone Ocean. But either way, you, you you'd probably at this point get like the episode title for the next episode. It's the Visitor. We end this episode with Jotaro's theme and Jolene looking at the pendant. Like mm-hmm. that would have been so much fun to talk about on like Reddit or Twitter, saying, "Oh my God, is Jotaro showing up in the next episode? Is this going to be his big introduction?" Um, but yeah, we didn't get that because everyone binged it and we all knew. Yeah, fuck you, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Again, as a hardcore binge watcher, you'd think I would love having a 12-episode dump, but I don't know. I could take it or leave it. But anyway, let's talk about the OP and the ED, which for some reason we, we passed over in the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yes, and I want to bring up another gripe in this regard. What a great dishonor and outright travesty that Netflix should push the skip intro button on us. Don't they know that JoJo fans never skip the OP? I know. When that popped up, I was like, what the fuck am I looking at right now? How I mean, dare you? It, it comes <laughs> up with every show that has like an intro that play after a cold open or even at the very beginning. But I, I don't I don't push that button. <laughs> I know. I, I wonder if Netflix, and I'm sure they, they do, they probably track the stats on which shows – have the most um, skip intro like selections mm-hmm. and i'd like to see the stats on the jojo one like what is the the comparison the, the percentage of people who actually hit the skip intro button for a jojo episode versus like any other anime or any other show i'm sure it's extremely low and if you do skip the intro you're a degenerate <laughs> if you skip the <laughs> intro you are a maniac i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> skip it if you like but why would you um, so yeah, this EP is just chock full of Easter eggs, just scattered throughout the, the visuals. Obviously, it has very vibrant colors, colors that are as visually striking as the manga colors. But yeah, the first thing I thought of um, when we first saw the OP, because the OP premiered, I think, a couple days before the actual show, right? Yeah. And the first thing I thought of was like, this was... This is a spiritual sequel to the OP for Part 3, Stardust Crusaders. Um, obviously because there's a connection between Jolene and Jotaro, but also because it returns to CG, as we mentioned earlier. I know. I, I was shocked. I know that it's been a thing in the JoJo community for a while now. Um, people rallying to bring back CG openings. And when Stone Ocean was announced, they're like, please, if there's one thing that we can have, is it CG openings? And I don't know if it was directly influenced by the, the you know, overseas JoJo community or if it was already kind of in the works for David Production or if they, they did take a lot of viewer feedback. I like to think, because David Production does such a phenomenal job with JoJo, I like to think that maybe they saw the, um, the community excitement around the possibility of bringing CG back and then they decided to do it because of that. But either way, I, I think it's... It was a great choice. It was an absolutely phenomenal choice because, again, it's the only CG in anime that can get away with it. Why not keep going? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the OP also has its mix of 2D elements as well. But I like to, again, think of it not just as a response to community feedback, but with Jolene's story being so intertwined with Jotaro, why not make this sort of homage to Part 3? And obviously, like, Jotaro features pretty prominently in this OP, but he's, I think you, you discussed this with me earlier. Like it, he's only ever featured in like background shots. So he's never like the focal point because obviously we, you want Jolene to be the the star of this part. 
Yeah, but there are a lot of moments that are almost one for ones. Um, mm -hmm. We actually retweeted something um, that had a couple of comparison shots. Like when Jolene towards the end stands up and Stone Free kind of pops out and she's got her chest like sticking out all, you know, standing proud and all of that. And it looks identical to the same thing that Jotaro has in the part three opening where he stands up and then Star Platinum sticks out and his chest is all, you know, stuck out, you know, standing proud. And then it moves into, I think it's that that part where the camera pans upward and you see all of, like the women in the Joe Star bloodline mm -hmm. or at least in the Joe Star history. And I thought that was a really cool part. Yeah, it's just a reversed image of, of Jotaro and Star Platinum, basically. Which is great. I love it. And there's the part, too, where I think there's, like, a, like Jolene's walking away from him, and, you, like, his back is turned. Kind of like, um, I think, one of the last OPs for part three featured, like, him walking away from Dio. Was that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so evoking that, that same imagery. But it was great. Like, I just love that they incorporated as much of Jotaro as they can. And while infusing Jolene with some of the elements of Part 3's OP that uh, featured Jotaro. Well, do you want to hit us with the um, song title and artist? Yes. So the title of the song is Stone Ocean. Whoa! <laughs> and it's sung by Ichida. Uh, she is from the band Kishida Kyo. Is it Ichida? Hold on. Let me look this up really quick. Sorry, my mistake. It, her name is Ichigo, um, but she is from the band Kishida Kyodan and the Akeboshi Rockets. Um, we're probably familiar with that band because they performed the OP for High School of the Dead. I love that OP. That's a great song. Mm -hmm. um, but fun fact here is that Ichigo is a huge JoJo fan. And much like Fairu's eyes story into becoming Jolene, I believe back in 2016, Ichigo had tweeted her desire to sing the OP for Stone Ocean. And what do you have it? It, it manifested. I love this. I love these stories. Again, it just shows how how in tune the the whole team is, Dave Production and everyone involved with the JoJo anime how in tune they are with the JoJo fandom. This is the kind of shit that you love to see. Just even if you can't have direct influence on a show, just knowing that your voice as the fan is heard and appreciated um, by the people making whatever that piece of art is or piece of medium is that you, you enjoy, I think is really special. And you get that time and time again here with JoJo. Yeah, I'm I'm about to drop a Star Wars reference now. Uh oh. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of uh, Dave Filoni's journey. Dave Filoni is like one of the creatives now behind Star Wars, and he started off as a Star Wars fan, and I think he met with George Lucas at one point, happenstance, um, and like made a pitch for for a Star Wars series or something. I, someone has to fact check me on that, but that's what eventually got him into the Clone Wars TV series. And now he's he's heading up a lot of Star Wars projects, including The Mandalorian. So it's great that you see that same energy translated to Jojo, again, with Fighter's Eye and with the choice of um, Ichigo to sing the OP. Um, and at first, like, the OP was... It had it like had to grow on me, but I, I think I enjoy it now. It it screams a lot of like grungy angst, which I think is supposed to be synonymous with Jolene's personality. Almost gives me like Paramore vibes. Oh yeah, I could see that. 
So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, okay, let's talk through the Easter eggs because there are Easter eggs aplenty in this OP. And I, I think it's, oh, how do I say this? Um, I feel like it's a, like an homage to all things JoJo mm-hmm. parts one through six because it encompasses all these little Easter eggs from across all of the JoJo parts up until this point, which is unique for um, for the the OPs. Now, it's not to say it never happened because I think there are callbacks to other parts in like the um, the crazy noisy bizarre town opening and the other one. I don't know if it was Chase, but maybe it was the third opening of um, of part four. So it, it has happened in other parts, but nowhere near to this level. I mean, every shot. Every moment has some sort of Easter egg, and it's really, really cool just to see all of these not homages to the lineage of the Joe Stars and, and all the people that they've come across. Yeah, I remember hearing in one of these streaming events, I think the director um, for Part 6 mentioned that Part 6, there's some sort of fin- finality to it that kind of encompasses all the six parts um, together. Uh, so I think in that regard, they really wanted to cram all the Easter eggs and references here to tie tie these first six parts together. And I know you'll talk about it probably in just a second, but there's that, that moment towards the end of the OP where the strings are making a star shape, right? Of course, because well, of the Joe yeah, stars. Yeah, let's go ahead and Well, hang on. <laughs> Before we get into that, though, I want to like just kind of round out this homage thought of it. Um or tie-ins to previous openings because as that's happening it it shows us quick quick glimpses of major plot points or major items i guess from parts one through five and if you think about the very first opening for part one sonochino sadame Mm -hmm. the first shot of that opening is um i guess like us flipping through the manga and it goes through all of the Joe stars from parts one through six. And the last one you see is Jolene before it cuts away from that manga visual into the actual opening. So it kind of feels like we've come full circle because that's how literally the first JoJo OP starts. And here, which is the the current JoJo OP, almost ends with kind of the same type of visual. Yeah, just fantastic Blows visual work mind. by David Production. Um, so yeah, let's get into some of the Easter eggs, at least the ones that I caught. Again, they are scattered aplenty uh, throughout this opening. Um, one that's not necessarily JoJo related, there is a point in here where you kind of see like this pop art, or, like these comic panel things, like the the lips. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're, yeah. they're like kind of shaking. There's a lot of like those uh, the the imagery that you, they used. In comics to like highlight sounds or onomatopoeias mm-hmm. um it kind of reminded me of i think the artist is roy lichtenstein lichtenstein he's like an american artist and i that's probably what they wanted to show you because to portray that you know this part takes place in america but i thought it was clever for them to use that kind of pop art or i think they're called like band-aid dots like the way that you I've have little I've never heard that term. <laughs> but it's like, you know, like the the bam and the wham, yeah, yeah. like old school Batman comics and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of cool that they infuse that with the visual for this OP. Um, but yeah, going into the meat of the JoJo references in this OP, there's graffiti like throughout the part. Um, a lot of it says Stone Ocean, um, but there are also references to Crazy Diamond. 
uh, Josuke's stand from part four, as well as his love and peace pins or brooches. I think there was a called like the things that you put on your clothes. yeah the brooches on his chest. It's brooches. I I I said it was brooch. Oh, I thought it was brooch. But I think but... it's spelled brooch. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> potato, potato. Um, you also see a very small picture of Iggy. I loved that one. I saw yeah. it the first time I watched. It. I'm like, was that Iggy? And it's right by Jotaro, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. So the the dog stand user, of course, from part three. Um, I think I saw one part or one scene where you see. Uh, the exclamation yes yes yeah which is from darby jr yeah um from when joe Toro was facing off in that video game tournament with him um one thing you probably had to really pay attention to is there's another piece of graffiti that says 1868 and that is actually the year of jonathan joestar's birth because his birthday was april 4 1868 it's it's tucked away in a corner shot. I think it's when they pan through the that warehouse um, with weather report. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's graffiti tucked away in a corner, so it's a that's like a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. Um, another significant part of the OP is the the objects that fall on the piano in that room, which becomes significant in a later episode. Um, several different things fall on the piano keys i'd i'd like to actually analyze what keys the objects fall on (laughs) yeah because you're a piano player yeah and i'd like to see if it actually makes a jojo reference in its melody i'll have to report back later um but i think the first object that falls besides the pens like felt tip pens um is which those pens are weather reports mm-hmm. pens like when he drops pens on the piano keys that's my understanding is like those pens are there because it's like weather report dropping them from yeah. the one episode yeah so after those pens drop uh you have a shovel that falls and i believe this is a reference to part five with leaky eye luca which yeah. i believe is the first stand user that giorno encounters and beats his brains in. <laughs> um and then there, the second one is the 612 road sign. This is actually the sign that Dio uses to attack Jotaro. Oh in my part God, three. I didn't realize that. Is it really? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> there, I, there's that cosplayer, that um, cross player out there who is like this chick who did an amazing job cosplaying as Dio. And she had like this, the road sign with her. Oh, yeah. I don't know why that made me think of that, but yeah, that was like such a cool, like a very unique prop to have for Dio. But like, of course, a very fitting one. So in this case, I can't believe they actually included that road yeah, sign. Yeah, it's there. like it's a very subtle reference. I had to look up like what this sign was, and then it, it dawned on me. Same with the shovel for Leaky Eye Luca. I yeah. actually thought that that one was probably one of the most obscure because. That's such an insignificant part of part five because they mm-hmm. they stop talking about Leaky Eye Luca after like the first three episodes and then that's it. Yeah, I have no clue why they're coming up with obscure objects because you could have <laughs> would have put a road roller falling onto the piano and that, <laughs> the that would piano have, just is completely <laughs> destroyed. <laughs> that would have made sense. <laughs> um, what's after the sign? Um, oh, there's a porcelain doll that falls on the piano and that is referencing part one with Erina, I think there are a bunch of bullies that are like they they take the doll away from her and are trying like holding it above her head and I think Jonathan comes to her rescue. 
Um, so that's where that object comes from. And the last significant object that falls on the piano is a Sony Walkman, which appears at the end of part two, uh, you know, after Joseph, um, <laughs> after Joseph assaults that Japanese airport traveler. <laughs> Um, and and says, shouts, I'll never forgive the <laughs> Japanese, but at least I like my Walkman. <laughs> yeah, so he puts on those uh, the Sony Walkman. So, yeah, those are the references for that piano part. Uh, very clever to include those. And I think the last thing is what you mentioned with the, the Joe Star tattoo. Um, or the, birthmark. Not the, <laughs> the, the birthmark. I don't know why I thought tattoo. Um, the images that come up within the birthmark that uh, kind of bring things full circle with the very first OP for JoJo. Do you want to go through those scenes? Yeah, let's do it. Because actually for parts three and part part four, I was like, I don't know what these are. I, I kept I kept pausing it um, and I could not tell what those images were. But yeah, take us through all of them from parts one through five. Do you not know? You're looking at me like confused. <laughs> I thought you wrote them down because I was trying to catch everything else. But oh, okay. I think part one. Here, I can also pull up the. <laughs> oh <laughs> oh man, I... guys, I'm not prepared. You, you had everything else, and then I was like, I'm, okay, I'm <laughs> doing this live. <laughs> Share with us. <laughs> okay, Share with on. us the images hold that on. are in uh, uh, in the <laughs> the star okay. part. <laughs> okay, I have it. Hold on, I have it pulled up here on YouTube. I'm gonna put this at 0.5 speed. All right, so. The disc falls, and that becomes significant. And so after the disc falls, you see the shape of the birthmark. The first one you see is of the stone mask from part one, Mm -hmm. and it's all bloodied up. Part two... (laughs) (laughs) I can see you, like, analyzing, like, really intensely right now. (laughs) Yeah. So part two, uh, you see an image of the red stone of Asia, which becomes the kind of the MacGuffin of that part. Part three, this one's kind of hard to see, but it's uh, kind of like a a panoramic view of it's Egypt. It's Egypt, right. and it's the, the Crusaders, isn't it? Or it's at least Jotaro. I can see Jotaro's leg. I think someone on Reddit said it may be Jotaro versus Dio in Egypt, but I can only make out Jotaro's leg towards like the lower right. Um, Unless I am completely well, it's this in up. it's in daylight this scene, so I can't. Mm, so then imagine. maybe it is the Crusaders. I saw a couple of theories on Reddit, so I was trying to figure out what it was. I did not know, but someone someone said it was Egypt, and another person said it was the Crusaders. Um, I don't know. It's it's so jumbled up. It's really hard to make out. I also saw someone referencing like um, the fight against Vanilla Ice. Oh, maybe that's what I read. That, that, that sounds super familiar. Yeah, where, like, the wall suddenly breaks. I'd have to review that fight to see if it comes mm. up. But you, you get this shot of, I think, Cairo. It's Cairo Yeah, this happens. Um, so that's the part three. Part four, this is where I think we had to do a little bit of research. But it's a bunch of, it looks like shattered glass with, like, very differing images. Apparently, it's a diamond. I don't have it in front of oh, you. Do. Yeah. Does it look like a diamond? When it you're does look at it? like a diamond. It's a diamond, and in the fa- the the faces or the facets of the diamond are the different sub stands that Kira has because he has like three stands in one. Okay. It's Killer Queen, sheer heart attack. Bites the dust. And bites the dust. Like if you look at the the different like you know it's it's called like facets on a diamond, right? The, the different flat surfaces. <laughs> I yeah, think anyway. Sure. Um, if you look at each of those 
those surface areas, I think you see a different part of one of the parts of Killer Queen. Okay. I saw someone else mention online that this is supposed to be when Crazy Diamond um, fixes the OP of the last the last OP of part four when um, Kira destroys it. But I can also see the, the diamond motif that you're pointing out. Um, and then the part five image is just of the stand arrow. That one is so clear. The parts one, two, and five are so clear. I don't know why they made parts like three and four so difficult to see. Yeah. And I, I feel bad because <laughs> I'm sure whatever the actual, like the, the, the core image is probably looks amazing. And then when they put that filter over it, it jumbles it up to the point where you can't tell what it is. Yeah, and so you have all these redditors and <laughs> online users yeah, theorizing. Uh, but yeah, that's what we got out of the OP. And if there's anything we missed, please reach out and let us know. We'd love to hear all the references that people find. When this OP dropped a few days before the premiere, there was a fan theory out there that Jolene at the very end when she's walking towards the the prison bars that at some point stone free would pop out and do an oro oro to break her out of the prison essentially like that type type of motif mm. but if what happened with the op in episode 12 follows the same pattern that should mean that we are getting a new op with the next episode drop, meaning that that probably is not going to happen where Stone Free comes out and punches the bars. Because right. isn't it every time that we get the OP with sound effects that usually signals this is the last time you'll see that OP? Yeah. Plus, there are characters that appear later on in this part one that do not appear in this OP. That is true. Anasui is there for like a hot second. Yeah. Although, to be fair, in these first 12 episodes, he's only there for a hot second. And the other character, I don't know if you want to mention it, but I feel like that you know, they're they're setting up for a new OP when part two comes out. Which is bittersweet because this one's really good. It's mm-hmm. a really good OP for Stone Ocean. But, you know, we have multiple OPs in all the JoJo parts. Yeah. I still can't forgive Chase, though. I love Chase. <laughs> I know Chase gets a lot of heat as well, the Well, yeah, because you, you had the part four um, Crazy Noisy Bizarre Time, which is great, happy-go-lucky. Then you go into, like, full depression mode with Chase. <laughs> well, that's kind of the cure way, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, uh, I know this this episode is pretty long, but, you know, it's it's been a great discussion. But let's close out with the ED. And there were a lot of interesting choices with this. Um, The song that we hear is called Distant Dreamer by Duffy, a Welsh singer. Um, This song is actually from her debut album, Rock Fairy, which released in 2008, which is kind of odd because part six takes place in 2011, but I think they just wanted to pick a song from that era of music and there's always some sort of connection with the ed song and with jojo whether it's what's happening in that part or with iraqi himself um so i think you mentioned that as of as of now as of this recording there still hasn't been a clear explanation as to why distant dreamer was chosen well i was kind of looking at the lyrics to the song um it's about a distant dreamer 
Um, I would like to say that's synonymous with Jolene wanting to break out of the prison, but now we know what her true, well, we'll find out what her true objective is, um, but kind of like her aspirations. Um, It also mentions um, in the lyrics, I hold on to a distant star. So maybe because of the star connection, like Joe Star, that's probably, that's also why they chose it. I was also reading stuff. Okay. Um, So funny enough, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. JoJo fans are notorious for infiltrating comments on YouTube videos of (laughs) songs that are featured in JoJo EDs. It's the same case here. I went over to uh, Duffy's um, Distant Dreamer video on YouTube and it's just chock full of people commenting from nine days ago. (laughs) So, um, but one of the comments I read, thankfully it did not spoil anything. And I don't know if this is something that will ring a bell for you. They say that there are connections with Distant Dreamer to the ending of part six. Ooh, that is an interesting theory. Ooh, okay. You've got my wheels turning. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I could see that. I could see that very much so. I mean, I'm not going to say anything, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. It, that's weird, though. Then why not? that's the case why not make it the last ed that shows up i don't know <laughs> i i kind of have a love-hate relationship with um this ed so before i get into that of course i'm bummed as fuck that it's not jolene by dolly mm-hmm. parton to me that's the, that would be the quintessential ed for part six um another fan theory earlier on um while we were all waiting for part six to be announced was that ocean man could be another ed because of Jotaro, although the part isn't really about Jotaro, so it would be kind of weird. I mean, Ocean Man, because he's a marine biologist, as we all know, people always mean that he loves starfish and, and dolphins more than he does his daughter. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it would be a cool song to incorporate somewhere, but I don't think it would necessarily be fitting as an ED because again, it, it that would pretty much be a Jotaro reference, not a Jolene reference. Plus, I always equate that song with SpongeBob. I, <laughs> yeah. If it were to become a JoJo, and then there was still thing. that that hope that we were holding out here at uh, Strictly JoJo that your theory of Evanescence being a good fit would have made it into the show, which would have been mind blowing. I mean that that would have been crazy if they actually used an Evanescence song. Yeah, I think my connection there was because Araki wrote this part around 2003. Um, and I believe that was around the time that Evanescence was kind of at the height of their popularity, especially with the Daredevil movie that came out. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. You had My my Immortal and Bring Me to Life. but And yeah. it's angsty, which would have fit Jolene's personality, at least this first part of Stone Ocean. Yeah. But we have Distant Dreamer by Duffy, which I admittedly have never heard until it was announced as the Stone Ocean ED. But I think it's a great fit. I think mm-hmm. it's a fantastic fit. Um, it's a nice way to kind of bring us down from the intensity of each episode of Stone Ocean. It's kind of like, it's the same effect as um, Roundabout because you would have such- I Jodeci. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a different kind of effect. Um, but you would have such intense moments in, in parts one and two, and then you'd have that, again, that slow burn of Roundabout would kick in and it would kind of take us down a little bit emotionally, but then kick it back up as Roundabout would kind of get in gear. And here, I, I feel like it's just a nice breather, again, after each intense episode that we have. I, I'm just conflicted because the ED visuals only show us the beach and the ocean, which thematically makes sense because it's called Stone Ocean. And 
they're in Florida, but it's so underwhelming compared to every other JoJo ED, even some of the slower ones like um, Last Train Home. Is that the title? Yeah, from part three. That one's a super slow ED, and we still get images of the Stardust Crusaders or... I'm trying to think if there's any other slow ones. I mean, Roundabout again. Like, Roundabout still has images of everyone from parts one and two. Here you get literally no images from JoJo. Like, if you just show this ED to someone who never knew it was tied to JoJo, they wouldn't know it's a JoJo ED. And part of me is like, that's great because there's no spoilers, but you can still have JoJo characters in there without actually having any spoilers, which is what happens in, like, you know, freaking you. Freaking me? Freaking you? I think freaking you whatever it is um, from part five, you just have images of the stands and the stand users rolling across the screen. It doesn't really spoil anything, but it at least ties into the whole JoJo theme. Yeah, you would think, I think this is a cliche, but you'd have like some of the characters just standing on the beach. Yeah, I would waiting take that. In the water. <laughs> I would take them literally just standing there versus literally no reference to JoJo at all in the ED. Yeah, this one, it's a it's just a very subdued ED compared to like previous installments and i'm curious to find out like the creative choice between uh behind keeping this id so so chill i'd have to say visually it's the most underwhelming jojo ed that we've ever gotten the animation of the actual beach and the ocean and the waves rolling in is stunning it's it's very well animated but that's not enough to make me feel hype about a jojo ed the song is great i'm not talking about the song as much but just visually it's the it's definitely the most underwhelming one that we have. Um, I don't know. Like I said, maybe it's a choice to prevent spoilers, but the OP spoils the shit out of the first twelve episodes, so mm-hmm. that that logic, I guess, kind of gets ruined there. Um, we did notice that in the first couple of episodes in the credits, we can't read Japanese and kanji, obviously, but we saw that there was like a name of somebody and then question marks, mm-hmm. and then when they got to the episode where they reveal Dio that's when they popped in Dio's name spoiler yeah which is kind of funny because I guess for anyone who's not as familiar with Jojo or not familiar with Dio's voice actor they might be like oh who is that supposed to be but you any Jojo fan who can read kanji and knows that voice actor's name will be like well that's Dio obviously or you could probably just google it and then mm-hmm. you'll see that it's Dio because he's appeared in other parts of Jojo <laughs> but I, I appreciate the effort I think that's that's a nice little thing that they did there they wanted to avoid spoilers whenever possible by just putting question marks until dio was revealed which you know this jumping ahead but that was a pretty nice reveal of of dio yeah. i didn't realize he was going to be in this part mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i didn't spoil that for you did i i kept that one <laughs> under wraps <laughs> and so that brings us to our final thoughts for part six episode two stone free or Prisoner FE40536, Jolene Cujo. What did you think overall about this episode? I think it's a fun, fun episode. It's its own contained story that introduces us to guests, I guess, who you know will make an appearance again later, um, but really establishes for Jolene what she's getting herself into and I think gets the ball rolling with her understanding how to use her her stand how to use stone free um the title of the episode of course is stone free because the whole point is her discovering her stand her learning about it um does it really propel 
the Stone Ocean story forward? Not really. Like I said before, I feel like we're taking, progression-wise, we're taking a step back with episode two before we take another step forward with the next episode, but that by no means diminishes the importance of episode two. So overall, I thought it was super fun, high intensity from start to finish, and Guess is just a creepy, creepy character. What about you? Yeah, I would say this was just a very straight, forward episode it's very point a to point b um focusing so much on guests but it's still great in that you know i feel like there's a lot of premieres in this episode um it obviously culminates in the first appearance of stone free that quite literally packs the punch um you have the premiere of our return to our scheduled stand of the week programming um Again, with the very creepy and unsettling introduction of guests and Goo Goo Dolls. And, of course, you have the premiere of the fantastic OP and the chill ED. Yet it doesn't advance the storyline very much further compared to subsequent episodes, but I still enjoyed it nonetheless. And as of this recording, we still have not gotten a confirmation for the next episode drop or the next episode release there's some theories out there that um, in total we may be getting about 36 ish episodes which i think is on par with parts four and five i want to say they were right around the same number of episodes five if i remember it was like about 40 yeah so we're we're kind of in that ballpark um i think uh, the first 12 episodes here does cover about a third of the manga but again my, my memory is very very fuzzy um, so yeah, still no confirmation on when we're going to get the rest of the episodes. We'll we'll check in each review that we have um, so that we can keep you guys posted on any news that comes through. Some some theories out there is that it could be more than 12 weeks. If you got the 12 episodes, it's kind of equivalent of 12 weeks of a show run. But yeah, there's theories out there that it may be even more than that because maybe Netflix wants to wait until the Japan premiere finishes or gets close to finishing before they drop the next set of episodes for their Netflix viewers. Who knows? Um, either way, it's going to be it's gonna be a waiting game. But hey, that's why we're here at Strictly JoJo to give you weekly reviews to hold you over until the next set of episodes comes out. And we hope that you guys have been enjoying these reviews so far. I know we're only two episodes in, but um, yeah, it's, it's so much fun to kind of talk about a JoJo season live as it's happening. And we hope that you've been enjoying all of our in-depth discussions, um, our, our talk of memes, our talk of uh, not only music references, but designer Fashion. references. Fashion. <laughs> but this is a lot of fun for us, and hopefully it's a lot of fun for you guys as well. And that wraps up episode 29 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday during our Stone Ocean review series. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or your thoughts on how fucked up Guess is. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. We're starting in January. We'll have our Attack on Titan review series. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.